Okay. You guys ready? Your mic's still working. I think so. Bop, 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 yep, bop, bop. Cool. cool. I'm loving it. You ever seen Mars Attacks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. Uh, we're so glad that you're able to uh, join us today. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and is brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Uh, we encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Uh, sitting around the table with me is Scott Slater, family pastor, Matt Bates, music and media pastor, Tim Michelangeli, lead pastor, and my name is Spencer Snow. I'm the discipleship pastor here at the church. Um, last week, we did we finished a second part of a two-part series um, where we looked at uh, Jesus and the apostles in the early church. We're going to continue kind of talking about that um, this week by looking at the, the people right after um the uh, the disciples, the apostles died off and such, and, and just actually not necessarily talk about all the history, but talk about um, the things they they had to do in order to uh, be faithful Christians in their time, and kind of what that looks like for us today, and why that's important um, in our own time. So right after the apostles uh, died off, the church was was faced and living in a hostile environment. Um, the early church, the 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 believers. They had to preserve the faith and uh, do this through perseverance and defend the faith uh, to outsiders. At the, in Paul's last letter to uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy, the letter he writes right before um, he would be executed, he wrote to Timothy and said, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So the first thing I, I uh, this is actually based off of a, a class that is being taught right now, um, the early church history class, and uh, talking about like the, the apostolic fathers is what they're called, the guys who came and, and led the church right after the apostles left the scene. And the first thing that we talked about was the fact that they preserved the faith that had been passed down to them. So the, uh, the, the faith of Jesus Christ that had been passed down through the apostles was passed down to these men. And they preserve that faith. Do we think of that often as, a, as the job of the church? To preserve, conserve, take care of uh, the faith? Like Paul writes to Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Is that something we think of often? Um, and then how can we do that? I think about it a lot. Yeah, I would say we as a group do. Yeah. Uh, we, we've had many conversations, I feel like, that are... Are in line with that kind of thinking mm -hmm. right yeah. but i mean i often think about it in in relation to our church specifically and people who are here you know of having concern maybe for someone who you hear might be 
listening to somebody who you're like, ah, that's not a good person to listen to, you know, or mm-hmm. reading a book that they shouldn't or whatever. Um, but like uh, what I mentioned, I mentioned this past Sunday about Christian internet and how yeah. that can be frustrating. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't mm-hmm. know if I'd encourage you to get on it. Right. But I would like to think... Who's that provider? Yeah, there's that a, provider. Yeah. yeah. I, know. <laughs> I, knew I, know. Some, I knew somebody would say that. I was yeah. waiting for that from somebody. AngelNet. Yeah, AngelNet. <laughs> they actually do have that stuff, which is crazy. But anyways... Dude, yeah. yeah. Our speeds um. are heavenly. <laughs> Keep oh going. God. You have plenty more. Oh there's more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of biblical proportions. <laughs> Oh my gosh. There you go. Yeah, he'll do it all day. Yeah, that's man. the problem. I want, I want that. Yeah. I want that ability. But anyways, what was I saying? It's a spiritual gift. Yeah. Oh, my frustration uh, with the you know the blogs and the I don't know whatever else it it is all on YouTube and Twitter and all these things where you see Christians like going back and forth at each other. I would like to think, giving much grace. That the reason they are doing what they're doing is because they're trying to preserve the mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. That they see an error, and they think that that error is important enough that it needs to be discussed and fixed. Mm-hmm. I don't think that always is the result. Mm-hmm. That's why I get frustrated mm-hmm. with it. I don't think that's the best avenue to go about preserving the faith is to put out 140 characters or whatever it is on your blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where my frustration often lies. But I would like to think that that's what's being mm. done in those instances, mm-hmm. is trying to preserve sure. something. Mm-hmm. I think it would definitely be fair to at least assume in that person's mind mm-hmm. that that is what they are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. I think you're yeah. right. Um, so I've often thought about this. Uh, like, what, what happens in my mind, the first thing that I heard you present this question was, yeah, uh, God preserves his church. Mm-hmm. You know, and sending Christ, the plan of redemption, and then in our lives, the Holy Spirit. Correct. But I think there's, it's, this is kind of like the balance between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Uh, they're, they're, there's twofold, but they're the same. Um, I've often heard it asked this way was, um, if anyone is familiar with Shakespeare, um, who killed Macbeth? I'm not familiar with Shakespeare. Okay. Well, was it? Was it? Is <laughs> <laughs> that on the ACT? Was it, yeah, yeah, yeah. was it the person in the play? It was that, Han Solo. That, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Oh, was was it, it? Was it the person in the play, or was it Shakespeare who wrote the play? Mm-hmm. Whether they killed them, you right, know. Right. So, like, the purpose of God is brought about by God's mm-hmm. will, but He brings about His will through right. man's responsibility, and, right. yeah. and, and then also our, our growth. So preserving the church, God is very much involved in that mm-hmm. through it. You know, His sovereignty is all-knowing, or you know, His right. omni right. attributes. Right. But He uses us to do that. Right. Which is kind of our responsibility as pastors mm-hmm. to pastor a church. Mm-hmm. Like we're very much aware of guarding, guarding the church mm-hmm. from you know the wolves in right. sheep's clothing. Right. Right. Um, so it's it's hand in hand. It's 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 God's work and it's also our work. Right. So I right. think that's a good way to look yeah. at it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're trying to to guard that which which uh, Jesus has entrusted has entrusted to us. On the one hand, we know it's it will happen. It will be secured to the end. But right. on the other hand, He tells us to take care of it. Right. Um, um, to the end. One of the things that we talked about in the class 
is um, uh, an early church father named Ignatius. He was from Antioch, and he had this warning about false doctrine. Um, and uh, he said this, I want to forewarn you not to get snagged on the hooks of worthless opinions, but instead to be fully convinced about the birth and the suffering and the resurrection that took place during the time of the governorship of Pontius Pilate. These things were truly and most assuredly done by Jesus Christ, our Lord, <coughs> from which may none of you ever be turned aside. Right away, you can kind of see one of the things uh, Ignatius is you can kind of uh, surmise is, is facing as people who are saying these things didn't really happen. Hmm. Jesus wasn't really in human flesh. He didn't really die. So he's already having to fight that battle. Uh, my question is, is, as we preserve the faith, do you think that we take false doctrine as seriously as the New Testament or the early church fathers did? Um, or are we more, like, do we take it as serious? Like he says here, I forewarn you, don't get snagged on the hooks of worthless opinions and, and things like that. Or do we just kind of, are we more kid glovey? Like, I don't know. Just what I do think you think? We, I think we argue too much about secondary or third or fourth issues within our faith with brothers and sisters that again can be discussed that might even cause separation denominationally mm -hmm. like where we are in different denominations because of these issues but i would still say they're a brother or a sister but we seem to be very lax i think at times even within our own denominations of some very important big issues of like trinity mm -hmm. and what does that play out at yeah. play out in or what what it, our Christology. What did Christ? What has really happened here? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know what what is going on here? Because right. I don't know. I, I don't know if people just assume that we're all on the same page, but I have often found that we're not because it hasn't really even been taught that well. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of questions. There's assumptions that are that are wrong. Like with the Trinity, you know, you will see things that were labeled as heresy many, many, many years ago come up in our churches today with mm -hmm. teenagers or with adults when you start talking about Trinity by examples that they try to use for oh, yeah. the Trinity. Yeah. And you're like, uh, you actually would have been kicked out of the church yeah. and maybe killed for what you just said. <laughs> oh, like, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not, that's not good what you just said. Yeah. But it's not talked about because it's almost like, well, we know this. And, you know, when you go to church websites, they would say, this is what we believe. We believe God's word is inerrant and infallible. Right. But then... I'm sure there's a lot of churches as well that when you join them, you start to think, do you? Right. Because you're not following it. You're not teaching from it as if it's an error. Right. Yeah. They, so we, we put these things out. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe mm -hmm. Jesus lived a perfect life. We believe he mm -hmm. died for man's sin. We believe he rose on the third day. We believe he ascended. Like you'll read these things, but then I don't think people really know what those mean <laughs> right. in depth. Right. Mm -hmm. To be able to fight. Because some of the things, I don't know what all, how in-depth you've gotten in your class, but some of the things that come up, I think to a lot of normal Christians today, you'd say, they're arguing over this. So like, uh, oh, this is going to show how dumb I am, I guess, but with the uh, uh, with Christ and him being, I think, or no, with the Trinity, and it was like one letter in uh, okay. Latin. What was it? It was like, Began with an H. Homos, yes. yeah, 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 or homos, yes, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it looks like one letter. It looks right. like we are arguing over one letter, but it was like the difference between substance or similar, or yeah, or same similar, or similar, same or similar, yeah. And it was like, yeah, but this is a big deal, right? Because right. if you believe this about the Trinity, <clears throat> that is wrong and not accurate, and you are you are a heretic, right? But if it's this, this is the true teaching of the church. This is right. what is true. And was that the hypostatic union of Christ? 
Uh, fully God, fully man, truly man. Yeah, truly God. I think so was it that was or that? Trinity? Yeah, I think it was connected. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, highlighting his. He has the same divine nature as the Father. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is it similar? Or is it the same? Or is it, or is the, it same? the same? Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. And now we're right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. But I still think if you ask most average Christians in the pews, like, what's your take on it? They're gonna be like, "Why are you worried about that? That's not a big deal." <laughs> it was a really big mm -hmm. deal. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah, you've got that side of it of. And I think that's probably the majority of Christians out there, honestly, is what I would think, would have that kind of, it's not really a big deal. We don't really have to worry about that. Um, but then the other side, like we were just talking about, the way in which people go about arguing it. I think mm -hmm. another problem that happens is that there are people who, it's almost like everything, mm. basically everything that isn't taught at their church by or by their favorite preacher or theologian or whatever, is that's heresy and it's my job to go on the internet and argue about it mm -hmm. and so what that does then i think is that's kind of created another culture among christians where you would say it's kind of lost as to what is important enough mm -hmm. to argue about mm -hmm. what is important enough to separate over right and how do you determine what that is because you can basically see anybody arguing about anything and making mm -hmm. calling it heresy like what's you know like there's not I at least haven't heard much conversation about like what is the standard here of like what you would actually call heresy right. versus what you would say that's probably just not my interpretation that I would go by and mm -hmm. but I can show mm -hmm. you Christian compassion mm -hmm. or uh, charity right and, right you know we can still have fellowship I can still call you a Christian mm -hmm. it's almost like there's been a, a loss of how to disagree mm -hmm. or what is important enough to disagree mm -hmm. about and how you gauge mm -hmm. those things. I don't know. So it's either yeah. you you don't care at all, or you seem to care way too much mm -hmm. about right. things that aren't what you would yeah. you would say like our first yeah. importance issues. But the problem the problem is within Christianity, within the Catholic Church, Big C, not Roman Catholic Church, but the mm -hmm. Catholic Church, we don't have a system to discuss these things anymore. A good one. Yeah. We don't have a good system, yeah. especially as Baptists. Right? We're good, faithful Baptists. What do Baptists say? Get out of my church. You can't say anything here. I'm autonomous. All right? We're standalone. We don't have bishops. We don't have people over us who do anything down. But the problem with that is that, like within the Southern Baptist Convention at least, this is what I've seen. Maybe there's some systems in place I don't know about. But when discussions come up, I don't know where those discussions really take place. Mm -hmm. Right, um, we're not accountable to anyone. Yeah, I mean, in our autonomy, you just you just don't see a good way for those because because the seminary presidents don't rule over our church. Right, you know, the president of our convention doesn't rule over our church, and mm -hmm. so they can meet, but it doesn't really impact me. If I don't like what they say, we're not in the Southern Baptist Convention anymore. Yeah. Our church, you know, if we don't like sure. that, we just pull out. Right. There's no, or they pull you out. If, yeah, if they can disfellowship you. Sure. They can. Sure. It doesn't yeah. happen too often. It probably yeah. needs to happen more, but it does happen some uh, where that takes place. Yeah. Uh, but that's where some other denominations have they have better things in in their structure of how to handle mm -hmm. these types of questions. You in know? theory, yeah. yeah, yeah, right, yeah. It doesn't always play. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. In theory, of of how to of how to do it. So, like even the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. They have stuff in place where the Pope, the Cardinals, all these things, and they meet and they decide and it right. goes out to all the church. Now, you might see unfaithfulness within the church 
-hmm. there too, not perfectly, but they do have a system in place to mm -hmm. to ask and these it's types infallible. of things. <laughs> yeah, for them, it's <laughs> you're right. You're right. It's infallible. Yeah, I mean, we don't agree with all that. I say that. Yeah, if you're listening, I don't believe that. It's <laughs> <laughs> done tongue in cheek. But sadly, because of that, in, at least in our area, we can only speak to our local church. I think well enough. Right. Mm -hmm. In our area, when you start to talk <clears throat> about, we're going to have a council to discuss this. We instantly push back because that's Roman Catholic. Mm, that's sure. a Roman Catholic thing, sure. a function. You know, uh, we don't do that mm -hmm. here. Right. right. But just because we don't agree with Roman Catholicism and all that they do, it doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. To they're trying to preserve the faith right. Right. that they right. that they sure. see, yeah. and they have systems in place to do that. And that's something, yeah, that we right. need to yeah. do as well. I mean, it makes sense. Like, as as a, yes, as a local autonomous church, we actually do have a vested interest in what happens at other churches, mm -hmm. though. Mm -hmm. If we believe those other churches are propagating the gospel mm -hmm. as we are trying to, mm -hmm. they are right. reaching people we are not reaching. You know, yeah. they are, they are yeah. discipling yeah. families that we are not discipling. Yeah. So we should have a vested interest, yeah. and other churches should have a vested interest in us. Mm -hmm. And as as pastors, just speaking of ourselves, we should have a vested interest in creating structures of accountability is what I think you're really talking about mm. that maybe don't exist too much in that classic mm. sense of like a centralized authority. Like we should want to have that mm -hmm. in case we do go off the rails or in case yeah. somebody who comes after us goes off the rails. Mm -hmm. You know, those should, we should care about those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 The communion of churches. Um, uh, I'm going to throw, maybe this is a wrench in, in the, in the works here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think they were concerned more than maybe societally we are now, because I mean you have all of you have all of these known councils that have taken place throughout early church history, like the Council of Jerusalem, and then you have like the Nicene uh, Council of Worms. Yeah, that, that was that was that was Diet in the 1500s. Of Diet of Worms. Diet of Worms. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then yeah. Uh, there's Chalcedon. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, there's all of these, and, but you don't really hear of that today, right? Like you just kind of what you were saying. You hear from the Pope, right? And I'm not sure where he, you know, gets all of well, his, his stuff, <laughs> language. But like in the last 20 years, there's been a huge push uh, in church culture for ecumenicalism which is the uniting of all different uh, denominations together to do things together. And what you've kind of seen is like blurred lines, um, people giving up their, um, their doctrine in order to cooperate with other denominations. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that may be a reason why there's so much just up in the air vagueness of sure. religion and, and not religion, but like doctrine, mm -hmm. you know, what, what does this denomination actually believe? What does this one, what, like, what's the differences? You know what I mean? Right. Right. So I like, and there's not really like, like what you said, Tim, there's not really a coming together of any denominations to even talk, to even have conversations about doctrine. Mm. They're all each in their own little thing. Um, and then even, in inside of each denominations, like Presbyterian, Baptist, uh, United Methodist, uh, Lutheran, they have all had splits 
-hmm. probably within the last 200 years that have either gone, and I'm gonna, just going to use these terms vaguely, conservative or liberal. So you have the, the splitting of these denominations and now you have other right. denominations right. Right. or more specific denominations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I don't think doctrine is at the top of our priority list as much as it was for, for say, the, the first century church. Right, right. It is impossible, though, to think that we could go back to this. I mean, agree. Oh, absolutely the, agree. The faith that, was yeah. young, right? Yeah. It was very young. You, the apostles pass away, what? Some say the latest, maybe 60 years after mm -hmm. the ascension, right? Uh, with John. Mm -hmm. um, so you're 60 years, 70 years into this thing. The church isn't spread drastically far, but it is yeah. spread mm -hmm. pretty good. Yeah. And so they're trying to ask some big questions that they hadn't thought yeah. about. And so, yeah. so right away when Jesus goes into ascends on high, they're asking right. some relevant questions at that at that moment, mm -hmm. right? Three thousand are saved. Now what? Now what do we do? Okay, yeah. so now we've got to do this. Well, these people over here are eating. Well, now we got to find some more men to help meet these needs right. over here because it's important for us to keep doing this. Yeah, right. A problem, you know, right sure. off the bat. Um, Trying to deal, trying to deal with Caesar as God, Jesus as God, right? Then the Jewish Gentile thing—you see them doing that, right? And then it spills over into some more questions about, yeah. like, like you had talked about, is Jesus fully, fully man, fully God? What, mm -hmm. How is this, you know? And trying to battle that because you had people within the church saying, "There's no way, mm -hmm. there's no way that this happened." Right. Yeah. So asking these questions. So over time, these questions just kept coming up, and now we find ourselves two thousand years down the road. With a lot of splits, a lot of variations, a lot of things have happened. So it's, it, it will not happen to where we think, you know right. what? I would just wish all the Christians of the world would gather together and let's talk about this. It's right. not, right. not going right. to happen. Right. Right. We don't have a central council. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have that. So it, it's, it's kind of foolish to think yeah. that we would. So it is different today mm -hmm. sure. than it was then. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. But there still is a sense where we need to persevere. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think preserve. For, and preserve. And for us, though, it'd be, I would say it'd be in our circle, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So we are Baptist Church, part of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's something that we can control, that we can watch, yes. that we can monitor of, do we want to continue being Southern Baptist with, with the decisions that the Southern Baptist Convention is making? Or do we think it's time to pull out because we are nervous of the direction it's going? That's something that we can do, mm -hmm. hopefully, faithfully. Right um, here, yeah. right. That's what we can control. Right. I can't control right. all the other things. So. Yeah. Right, right, you know? We do what we can do. Yeah, yeah, yep. we do what we can do. Mm -hmm. So we <clears throat> talked about preserving the faith. I'm not. We don't need to. I don't want to talk a ton about this um, because it's pretty obvious. The early church had to persevere against a hostile world. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And even though uh, persecution wasn't always a reality in the sense in which it wasn't like there was like an empire-wide edict saying, go get all the Christians across the empire. It was sure. more regional and sporadic. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there was still hostility from the culture. Do you think there's an element to that, though? I mean, it's definitely not physical mm -hmm. uh, persecution that would happen today, but more so just like philosophical mm -hmm. or um, just the way people are looked down upon mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. Because I see a link between that increasing in our culture yeah. and... Like the link between that and people Correct. departing from sound doctrine Correct. and several different Correct. issues. Correct. There, there, there does seem to be a link between social pressure 
that's put on Christians and yeah. put on churches. Yeah. And that does lead to a departure from sound doctrine. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. Um, and there, you're right. There was there was a huge cultural uh, hostility. I mean, uh, we talked about it um, in the class about how Christians were accused of cannibalism. Because think about it, if you're a secret society in a sense, because Christians, because society that many public events were tinged with idolatry, uh, athletic games, entertainment, business, even. Um, so if you're standing aloof from society, you're kind, people are wondering automatically, well, what's up with them? Yeah. And then you're talking about people hear this stuff where they say, well, they're having the body and blood of the Lord. And that sounds like cannibalism. People just hear things and they start rumors spread, right? Yeah. And um, we talked about how uh, to many people, I think the Christians look like one of those crazy cults you read about or see on TV. Um, they're like they're they're cannibals. Um, they're doing all sorts of weird Weren't stuff. They accused of incest. As yeah, well, because they, they called each other brother and they, sister, and they had love mm -hmm. beasts. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, well, what's going on there? And um, again, just misunderstandings of what we were talking about. And then there was intellectual hosti hostility. The first um, actual major intellectual attack on Christianity was from Kelsus, who wrote this book, The True Word, and. Uh, he, he wrote this. This is an interesting statement that he wrote. He said, First, however, I must deal with the matter of Jesus, the so-called Savior, who not long ago taught new doctrines and was thought to be a son of God. This Savior, I shall attempt to show, deceived many, and caused them to accept a form of belief harmful to the well-being of mankind. Taking its root in the lower classes, the religion continues to spread among the vulgar. Nay, one can even say it spreads because of its vulgarity and the illiteracy of its, of its adherents. And while there are a few moderate, reasonable, and intelligent people who interpret its beliefs allegorically, yet it thrives in its purer form among the ignorant. Yeah. So he was a philosopher, and there were early church uh, writers who responded to him, one of which was Origen, um, was, a, was a theologian in Alexandria, Egypt. He would respond to Celsus. And um, so there, there was intellectual hostility. People, Christians were looked upon as just you know, weak, worthless um, members of society. Um, so there was hostility, which we find ourselves experiencing perhaps a little bit more from a cultural um, and intellectual side today, maybe to bigger, greater degrees than, than were in the past. Lastly, we can talk about this, though. In the face of all that persecution, and they had to persevere through it. And Tim, you've talked a lot about perseverance. But we had, they had to persevere through that. They also had to defend the faith to an outside world that was hostile. And uh, that really shines in a group of individuals that we call the apologists. And the word apology um, does not mean saying I'm sorry for the faith. It means making <laughs> a defense, defense, a reasoned defense um, of the faith to outsiders and reasons for Christianity. And there were, um, and, and against all of these allegations, and there were some some famous apologists, chiefly was <laughs> a guy named Justin Martyr, who defended Christianity. Um, guys, what do you think the church has? We talked about preserving the doctrine. What role does the local church, I'm not talking about specific uh, apologists um, uh, outside the church, I'm talking about as, as a church, maybe from the pulpit even, um, and, and the primary purpose of the pulpit is to teach God's people, but there may be a role when God's word defends the faith to the outside world. Is there, is there a role for that um, at some level? How should we do that? Well, I think what does it look like as a local church to, to defend the world, the faith against all the world outside? 
I mean, I think as we preach and teach faithfully people the Word of God, which is what we're trying to do, um, what we just talked about a couple weeks ago, I keep going to this, I hate that, but to know Him more, we're, like Paul says in Ephesians, that we are to, to gain this knowledge. And there's a reason, there is a reason for that. Mm -hmm. uh, because I've been in groups before where you have people who are assured of something, but eventually the group can wear them down to have them doubt what they were 100% assured of before. Mm. Right? And all of a sudden, this doubt starts creeping in, and maybe it eventually goes all the way to they side with the group. I'm okay, mm -hmm. I believe this now. Um, and why did that happen? Well, it uh, could just be peer pressure, could be a weakness thing, but it comes to a point maybe if I'm a Christian and I'm around people who are non Christians and they're always attacking the faith, where they're bringing up questions. I don't have answers to myself. Mm -hmm. And so it's the job, I think, of the pulpit, of the preaching and teaching ministry of the church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. And that will include um, some modern-day accusations against Scripture. That's going to come up and where you are reassuring people, the Bible speaks to this, right? The Bible has an answer an answer to this. And this is what it is. Look, this is where it says this. There are areas of our faith, though, where I think it is mysterious, where we struggle to really have a great answer. Like Matt said something earlier about how God has a plan and He's using us as His agents mm -hmm. in our own will to achieve this plan. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, how do you explain how that? How do you explain that? <laughs> it's hard for us to explain that. We see that scripturally, and we need to understand that mm -hmm. and not be scared to say that. Mm -hmm that we believe this and know this to be true because of God's Word. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's where it is. I, I don't know if from the pulpit I would be comfortable. Right. You don't want them to do this week in and week yeah, out. Yeah, and do the apologist way. But, but there is a... But there is, yeah. An apologetic role well, there's also a sorts. loving. There's also a loving thing, too, yeah. right? We have, we, have, uh, we have neighbors, we have people in our community mm -hmm. who believe in faiths that we believe to be heretical hmm. and if we are going to love them well we need to have an answer for them right not to prove them wrong not to fight them like you know for so for our church member who's living next door to somebody who's mormon and they're getting to know them and they're having conversations right. with them hmm. a loving thing for us as pastors is to teach them how to defend our faith right. against Mormonism, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not probably not going to do that from the pulpit just flat out, but there might come a time, though, where you get to something in Scripture that teaches uh, Jesus is fully God, where you bring up, and Jehovah's Witness don't believe this. Mm -hmm. And right. so you might come across yeah. this. Right. That's one of the reasons why it's so important for a pastor to know their, their congregation mm -hmm. and spend time among them. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I was actually taught in uh, Bible college in my preaching class uh, when you're constructing a sermon is to try and anticipate objections. Mm. Like if you're making yeah. a point, try to anticipate what an, what an objection would be. And that could be so different for any sermon and any point in scripture that you're at. But the objection could be from the teenager that's sitting there to the outsider that's not a Christian, but just came with their family right. or was invited. Or what might an objection to this be, whether it comes from a different religion or from our culture at large? Mm. And it doesn't mean my whole sermon's about that, right. Right. but it means that I'm trying to make a point, to clarify it, to apply it, 
here's an objection that might make sense. I mean, Paul kind of does the same things in Romans. Yeah, he does that. When yeah. he's writing through mm -hmm. Romans, he anticipates mm -hmm. what a possible objection might be. And so in that way, he's acting as an apologist right. of what he's explaining there. Right. Right? And it only strengthens the point right. that he's trying to make. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Paul's yeah. brilliant in those things. With the it? grace, I mean, with the grace thing, that's the one of the examples I think of with Paul. Yeah. Do I keep on sinning so that grace can abound? Right. No, because yeah, no. he knew some people would say that. <laughs> right. You're saying grace covers me. So I'll do whatever saying, I want. Right. Yeah. You're saying I'm free right, so. to do anything. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. All okay, right. All right. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. saying I can eat anything. Well, yeah, but if you have a weaker brother there. Right. Then like, so he's already right. already yes. doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a great, so, a great point. I've heard before that... Um, some of the uh, law schools, like I don't know, like really prestigious law schools, used to use Paul's letter to the Romans as an example of just great legal thinking because the mm. the, law, the the processes. I mean, it's almost like he's inspired, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing the 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 ability he has to anticipate those those objections. And you, and you had a good point, Scott, too, about where you're at because you might preach a certain way in Provo, Utah different from if yeah. you're preaching in Southern yeah. California and yeah. because one particular um, set of objections are going to be more right. more frequent maybe yeah. I mean that might that might come up and just as the text offers itself or, you don't yeah. force it yeah but. or even not even in a in a context that's largely not Christian like in Provo Utah it's going to be primarily Mormon right but like even even here like yeah. in Monroe where we were just talking about this the other day Tim where uh like historically, Monroe is very heavily Catholic, and the objection might not be simply like, does God exist, or mm -hmm. this, or that, or the other, or what religion, but how have other Christians throughout history, namely the Catholic Church, understood this? How do we understand this differently? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that might need to be clarified yeah. or understood to show that there is a distinction here, there's a division here, and this is why we think what we think about this. Mm -hmm. That's really good. I think the context in which you do this is important. Uh, I think that's the right way to say it, but like one-on-one, -on -one, I think this is a good thing uh, to to be able to defend the faith to someone that you have a relationship with. Uh, I, I, I'm thinking of the quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, where I think it's from Preachers and Preaching, <coughs> Preaching and Preachers, where he says he doesn't agree with um, public debate because you're automatically giving the other opinion a foothold where there is no foothold. So you're automatic, they're automatically... And he also says it never amounts to anything anyways. Yeah. It's never, yeah. it's never changed anyone's mind. Yeah. Uh, and about that, yeah. yeah, it's Lloyd Jones. Quote. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm a huge proponent for defending the faith, but, but the faith, but you got to do it <clears throat> in a loving manner. And, and, it, mm -hmm. and I don't think it's good on a public stage some the way that some of some of the uh apologists today do it does that right. make sense right uh right. like it feels like they're very abrasive feels like they're not not loving i i realize that you know telling the truth sure. to sinners that they're sinners is not right. something that's good to hear to them anyways right but it, it is loving coming from us but you can do it in a very not loving way mm -hmm. so I, I i guess i'm just concerned with the way in which we do it. Sure. Mm -hmm. I think you had a good point there, Matt, about how this often happens within the context of a relationship yeah. with individuals. If you're uh, just uh, going around and uh, and just being, uh, you know, 
not a nice guy in the way you're doing this and just doing this with one-off with people all the time. And this isn't the context of a friendship or really. Yeah. And also yeah. understand this could be a very long process. Sure. Yeah, I'm not absolutely. expecting me to give you these three reasons why you should believe the New Testament and then right. that should satisfy you and you should kneel. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's like this is going to, this could be years mm -hmm. and this can be taking place over family dinners or at Thanksgivings. And yeah. it doesn't have to be, like you said, a debate forum. Mm -hmm. It can just be, well, this is why I think, and or and also being okay to say I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Let me see if I can yeah, find some answers. Yeah, let me figure answers, it out. Yeah. Right. That's that's the that's yeah. a great answer, and people should be encouraged to know that that's okay. Yeah. You know. But we have a lot of resources to figure yeah, and, out. And then you know get get right. answers to the questions that we have. Then go then go find those yeah. resources and come back. Yeah. yeah. I would just add that to that that one of the reasons the relationship, th I think there is a place for like an official discussion to happen or debate, but um, it's when people self-appoint themselves yeah, to do sure. that maybe yeah, publicly. Sure. And the yeah. internet's allowed people to do that publicly, sure. but yeah. there yeah. are people who are very well trained and understand things. Right. But the relationship's important for the one-on-one -on -one conversations, I think, because I think actually a lot of the doubts that people would say that they have or the questions about Christianity are actually not the result <clears throat> of philosophical reasoning that they've been doing sure. or scientific evidence that's come to them it's usually because of something that's much more deeply personal mm -hmm. and this a lot of times i'm not saying this is universal mm -hmm. for everybody but this personal issue that they're having they've coupled that with this doubt or this scientific evidence and it's kind of they're using it as like maybe an out mm -hmm. or there's something else going on you know yeah. whatever people will tell you publicly there's something else going on right. beneath the surface. It's never, yeah. it's never what it seems. I've, mm. I found. Yeah. And saying all this more. stuff, I will caution because I think this is an okay caution. Hopefully, you guys are okay with this. When I see somebody and they say I'm an apologist, I'm instantly taken back. Like, wait a second, because sure, that is a dangerous, a dangerous thing. Yeah, it's at, not an office. Time. No, it, it's a, ner <laughs> right. it's a nerve-wracking thing <laughs> right. to see, and yeah. so. There's benefits to it, um, but like within the church, like apologists within the church and us discussing things within the church, I was thinking 2 Timothy 2.23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And I think that's what happens a lot today with these apologists, is yeah. they're just coral breeders. That's, that's what it sure. is. Yep. This stuff that the early church fathers were <laughs> writing over was, are you in or not? Yeah. I mean, it was some serious stuff mm -hmm. about what you believe about Christ and God and, mm -hmm. and the church and these things that are very important to, to know if you're in the faith or not. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I see today, the apologists attacking each other for, supposedly within the church, yeah. I think they're just disobeying Second right. Timothy here. Really, sure. the best apologist of the last century was the guy who did it the best, and that was C.S. Lewis. Yeah. I mean, I don't agree with everything he did, the, a lot, like all of his mm -hmm. certain theological things, but you read mere Christianity and what he's trying to do. Uh, he's, he's, he's being an apologist, but he does it in a way um, that's, that's very straightforward. About, like, he talks about the law. He talks about sin. Uh, but he also talks about the Trinity. He talks about who God is and, and, and salvation. But he does it in such a way that he's, he's just not being rude. Um, uh, and and he, he he's a great writer. Obviously, that helps a lot too. Mm -hmm. But but you can whenever you read him, you feel like he's actually for you, hmm. like he's actually concerned for you, and he's not just out there to win the argument. Yeah. And I think that that 
yeah. think that feel that he conveys <clears throat> um, is a as a feel generally that we should want to cultivate mm -hmm. as we try to share the faith and defend the faith against possible accusations. I've heard it put this way, is that when you're having a conversation with someone, talk to them yeah. and respond to them. Don't talk at them. Right. Does that right. make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So talking at them is you trying to push your opinion on them yeah. and not listening really to what right. they're saying. Right. I'm not saying that you're compromising your opinion, but like to have a conversation, you actually have to listen and you have to respond to right. what the other person's right. saying. So. Right, right. Marriage will do that too for you. Oh, absolutely. It teaches you a great skill there. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> a great skill. Yeah, I'm still, uh, we're right. still working on that. Which, yeah, we have um, to fail at. <laughs> um, okay, I want to close real quick with a, one of my favorite quotes that we read um, in the class. And there's, a, there's a, a letter that most people probably wouldn't know. It's called the Epistle to Diognetus. And it's a letter that we don't know who wrote it but it's an early apologetic work. And he's writing about what makes Christians distinct. And so he's trying to defend the Christian faith. Um, and I think, I read this to the class, and I think this was, it was helpful for them. And this is what he says makes Christians different from Jews or Gentiles. He says, For Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. For nowhere do they live in cities of their own, nor do they speak some unusual dialect, nor do they practice an eccentric way of life. This teaching of theirs has not been discovered by the thought and reflection of ingenious people, nor do they promote any human doctrine as some do. But while they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, as each one's lot was cast, and follow the local customs in dress and food and other aspects of life, at the same time they demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their fatherland, and every fatherland is foreign. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring. They share their food, but not their wives. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, indeed in their private lives they transcend the laws. They love everyone, and by everyone they are persecuted. They are unknown, yet they are condemned. They are put to death poor, yet they make many rich. They are in need of everything, yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are slandered, yet they are vindicated. They are cursed, yet they bless. They are insulted, yet they offer respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as though brought to life. By the Jews, they are assaulted as foreigners, and by the Greeks, they are persecuted. Yet those who hate them are unable to give a reason for their hostility. In a word, what the soul is to the body, Christians are to the world. The soul is dispersed through all the members of the body and Christians throughout the cities of the world. The soul dwells in the body, but is not of the body. Likewise, Christians dwell in the world, but are not of the world. I think that is a beautiful description of what Christians should be characterized by. Mm -hmm. Being a people, it's almost like he describes us. We're, our, our distinction, it's almost like we have this invisible influence throughout the world in all of our lives. We don't have different looking jobs than other people. We go to the same places of work. We participate in marriage just like they do. We go to the same restaurants. And yet, invisibly, Jesus said before, we are the salt of the earth. And similarly, he says, you're the soul of the world. And even though um, you're not, you live in the world, but you're not of the world here. And I think that's just such a, 
that should be, I think, a helpful goal, and uh, that should be what characterizes all Christians. And that's what this apologist was trying to say. This is who Christians are. And wouldn't it be wonderful if actually that could be true of, of us? And, um, and I probably, if we did that, that would be the best apology for the Christian faith. <laughs> yeah, if, if we right. did that. So, well, thank you so much for listening to this. I uh, hope this has been encouraging um, for you um, as you as we think about the early church and just think about what they went through and and how we can similarly uh, be faithful to the task of being Christians, being the people of God in our own time today. So, uh, thank you for listening. Hope this has been encouraging. Take care and God bless. Mm-hmm.